Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Wake up, America, wake up! Political division in the country undeniably deep right now. The big question on a lot of people's minds, can Americans come together and heal? I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Welcome back to Uncommon Ground. I'm Van Jones, and on this show, we're exploring what it takes to make meaningful change in such a divided country. I am looking for answers to some of the toughest questions and problems that just seem to be holding everybody back. One of those questions is, how do we hold people accountable but still allow for some space and some grace for growth. We have to build these movements for justice. How do we make sure those movements are just themselves? You know, we're trying to fight for fairness for everybody, but you know, sometimes maybe we're not as fair to the people in these movements that we're a part of as we might want to be. And I know sometimes for me, it sometimes feels like if you say the wrong thing or you, you don't get it right, maybe you're going to get thrown out. It's just, it's a dilemma. Is there an alternative to either turning a blind eye to all kind of wrongdoing or just burning the house down with cancel culture. And, you know, for the people who are pushing for change, this is really, really consequential stuff. You know, justice work is always difficult. And there's just so many pitfalls. There's just so many internal dynamics and and ways that things can go wrong. And people come to these movements as they are, often hurt by society, and then hurt people hurt people. And that happens inside of these movements. Look, I know this firsthand. I've gotten torched myself inside of social justice movements, but I also myself have made mistakes, made bad choices, done stuff and said stuff that I regret and needed you know, mercy and forgiveness myself. You know, we've all been on all sides of it. But how do we make progress now? I just had a conversation with somebody who's thought about this so deeply, literally from birth. I'm talking about longtime social justice activist Malkia Cyril. Malkia uses the pronouns they and them. And so I wanted to get their counsel on what they're noticing within the movement and how people can hold people accountable while still holding people. Now, Malkia is a truly remarkable human being, an award-winning activist, a beautiful and profound writer and public speaker, founder of this organization called Media Justice, which advances racial justice and rights and dignity in the digital age. I'm proud to say that Malkia has been an ally of mine and I've been an ally of Malkia's. We were actually fighting for youth justice together back in the Bay Area a very long time ago. But most importantly, Malkia comes from decades and decades of activism within their own family. You know, my mother in the Black Panther Party was expelled from the party maybe 27 times because one of the one of the tragic realities of of movements for for justice is that they are repressed right Mm -hmm. there are there are uh, state repression police used to make sure that you can't have this movement right violent repression that has real consequences right so when that's the case you know it breeds infighting Um, and then when you layer that kind of external repression on top of internal um, fissures. You break something very fundamental. Because of what the Black Panthers went through, 
because of all the internal fighting, because of all the people who wound up going to jail or leaving the country, Malkia has had to think about justice in a very intimate way for their whole life. And the conversation that we had, to me, was a revelation. Now, I want to point out a couple of things. Malkia uses terms and phrases that come from deep within the movement for Black liberation. Uh, makes references to, say, Bobby Seale, who is the co-founder of the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Talks about SNCC, meeting the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. Uses the term pig sometimes to refer to the police. For those of you who are outside this particular community, uh, I just welcome you to just embrace uh, being kind of behind the curtain in a real conversation between African-American activists trying to find a way forward. But there's a rootedness there. And so the main thing you hear from Alkia is a rare wisdom about how we can be together on this road to freedom. So take a listen to my conversation with Malkia Cyril after this short break. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes. But let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. I just appreciate getting a chance to, to talk with you. And, and you've been somebody who has fought for every kind of justice in the world. <laughs> Racial justice, social justice, gender justice. Technology justice. I, I knew you when you were fighting for youth justice. That's right. <laughs> like, That's right. Your whole life has been committed to this fight for justice. And I wanted to talk about it, especially, you know, the, you know, where, where does grace fall in? Where does accountability fall in? Where does redemption fall in? Like that whole thing is a conversation I want to have with you. And I really wanted to start the conversation, though, with your mom. I think I actually knew your mom before I knew you. I certainly knew of your mom before I knew of you. Tell Uncommon Ground community a little bit about your mom and, and uh, how honestly you came into this fight for justice. <laughs> uh, my mom's name was Janet Cyril. Um, let me start by saying she passed away in 2005 from a genetic illness, sickle cell anemia. And 
uh, what that means is that, you know, my entire life, my mom was chronically ill. She was also the daughter of Jamaican immigrants. She, you know, took herself to, to college. She integrated a, a, a white university in the Midwest and came to back to Brooklyn um, to join SNCC, actually. And that's that's the Student Nonviolent Coordinating that's Committee, right. which that's is right. the, the young the young people in the sixties who started off with the lunch counters and they did the, the buses and then they did the voting drive. They basically right. the, the the youth who powered the whole movement were called SNCC. And my mom loved SNCC, but then she kind of felt enamored, you know, romantically <laughs> with Bobby Seale. Oh, now we get down to it. Bobby Seale, <laughs> co-founder of the Black Panther Party. We didn't know. Oh, here we go. And it's so, going to be good. You know, and so she decided that she liked the Black Panther Party better. So uh, so she she moved. And, and the thing is, that's not uncommon, right? People join mm-hmm. things because... Something there that interests them, you know, at least initially. And as a member of the Black Panther Party, um, she ran the New York Breakfast Program. She was uh, an original member of the Harlem chapter, which was one of the initial chapters outside of Oakland. She was friends with and family with many of the people that you, you know, the people have heard of now. Uh, Fred Hampton, other names that have run, come up to the forefront now, you know, are people that she considered her contemporaries and her friends. Um, so that's that's her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you, you 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 have have lived up to that and more. I mean, like I said, you you have been a, a leader and a source of wisdom in so many different fights and struggles and campaigns and organizations. And also you've become an incredibly uh, beautiful and powerful writer, both writing about your own grief at the death of your wife and some of the intricacies and the nuances of what it means to be in liberation struggle for real. Uh, the system has let us down when it comes to justice. If you're a female, if you're LGBTQ+, if you're African-American, if you're indigenous, whatever group you are in, you can say with some authority that the system has let us down. And what we're seeing now are movements coming up uh, to try to correct some of those injustices uh, in a new way, in a new era with new tools, including social media tools. And this is on the net, I think, a positive. And yet there's always challenges. And I wonder how you think about what some people call cancel culture, what some people call woke culture, this, this whole attempt for the people to hold power accountable, to hold powerful people accountable, and the dangers in that as well as the promise in that. Just how do you think about this new effort with these new tools uh, to bring about justice in a new way? That's a big question, and I'm going to do my best to, to do it justice. First, let me say that cancel culture and woke culture are terms of the American right wing. They were used in an attempt to discredit um, efforts of the left to say that those movements in asking for and uh, and, and demanding some sort of accountability from uh, corporate power, from white power, that what they were actually doing was being politically correct. And I think as we kind of dig into that question, we still have to understand that the context is that this is an attempt by the American right to discredit movements for justice. So that's the first thing that we have to understand. The second thing that I think is important to understand is this is not new. 
You know, my mother in the Black Panther Party was expelled from the party maybe 27 times. Mm. Um, Expelled from the party because she didn't do whatever they said do in a particular way. Expelled from the party because of sexism in the party. Expelled from the party because she didn't want to sleep with so-and-so. You know, many, many reasons to be expelled from the party. Because one of the one of the tragic realities of movements for justice is that they are repressed. I mean that when movements are repressed, and I'm not talking about basic oppression, I'm talking about repression, like you are you are um, disallowed from existing, right? Mm-hmm. There are state repression police used to make sure that you can't have this movement, right? Violent repression that has real consequences, right? So when that's the case, you know, it breeds infighting. It it breeds an inward focus because it breeds paranoia. It breeds fear. Um, And then when you layer that kind of external repression on top of internal fissures, you break something very fundamental, you know? So, so that's, that's the second thing. It's not, it's not new. It's actually old. When you say this is not new, what you mean is the infighting and the, you know, activists sometimes lashing out at each other. That's correct. Um, in this context of we already poor and oppressed and there's also police repression. So social movements have a tendency to, to begin to infight and have people turning on each other. Yes. But let's get to the real thing you're talking about. You know, I need to I need to point those two things out because sometimes we we blame ourselves for things that have external causes. But to the real question, you know, what does it mean that we can be so uh, ruthless with one another? You know, mm-hmm. what does that mean for our capacity for victory? What does it mean for uh, our future? <laughs> you know, as yeah. a movement, there is no way inside of this kind of inequality, in, inside of this level of violence, there is no way to not replicate some measure of violence. And so that's why part of the work, part of the point when you say I'm an abolitionist, you know, you say to yourself, I am opposed to the proliferation of prisons and the proliferation of policing. Part of saying that is also saying, I believe in mercy. You know, I, I believe in, in redemption. I discredit the idea of innocence. I don't believe in those kinds of binaries. See, we can't just say I'm an abolitionist and talk about the institutions. That's my point. We have to actually think about the, the, what the human part of that is also about. So, so this is deep. When uh, you use the term abolitionist, you, you mean people who believe that we should abolish the, the prison state, the, the prison system. As we know it. As we know it, and people who raise that term abolitionist, they're, they're drawing on the legacy of those who said, let's abolish slavery, seeing the prison system as a, as a legacy institution of slavery and saying, let's abolish that too, as we know it. You're putting your finger on something I think that's very powerful because the very movements that are standing up against the punishment industry and against this kind of you know, punishment state as it's directed toward uh, mostly black, brown, and poor folks, can be quite punishing. Absolutely. These same movements that are standing up for freedom sometimes have a hard time giving people freedom to make mistakes, learn, apologize, redeem themselves, et cetera, internal to these movements. This is the, the little kernel of truth that 
the people who actually don't have goodwill might be able to point out. And so you sit in that. I mean, you, this is not abstract for you. This is not academic for you. You're in these meetings. You know these, the, the people who are sometimes contesting and contending. And you're trying to do two things I think that are very difficult. To change the society and at the same time to, to protect and heal and grow a movement that the society may be trying to crush. This is why I wanted to have you here, mm. because there's no tougher job than the job that you and your peers have taken on. What's the right way for a movement to hold leaders accountable and still hold leaders? Like, I feel like mm. sometimes we, we're holding folk accountable. We're not holding them. <laughs> That's a good question. Well, let me say this. First thing that my mom taught me is that accountability starts at home. So if I want to hold somebody accountable, the first thing I have to do is check and be sure I am being accountable. And the fact is that there's been plenty of times in my 20, 30-year career as an activist where I have not been accountable. Me Let's too. just be clear about that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I had to learn to be different. And also, like many of us, I got dropped in to an ED job. And so like many of us, I didn't really have any particular management training or management skills. You know, I had a vision and I had a passion, but that has nothing to do with the skills required to build an organization, for example. There's a kind of accountability that is required when you are on blast, when you are in public at, at a high level that is not required when you're more behind the scenes and when, you know, everybody don't know who you are, Right. And it's hard, um, especially when you're at that level, many times the movement has been distanced from you. You have either you have distanced yourself or the movement has distanced itself. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at amazon.com slash instant eraser foundation. On the Nintendo Switch system, there's so many worlds you can explore. Like Hyrule, where I can fight enemies and save the kingdom with Link. <laughs> that sounds adventurous. Or my very own island in Animal Crossing New Horizons, where I can fish whenever I want. the size of that thing! You can find even more worlds to explore on the Nintendo Switch system. Games rated E to E10+. Games and systems sold separately. So, you know, you're, you're talking about some things that I think uh, just bear a little bit of pulling out. Come on, pull it out for me. In the old way, when we were coming up, things were, people were close enough to each other that somebody could quote unquote, pull your coat. Yes. <laughs> somebody could walk up to you and say, Hey, come over here. You know, young person. I don't think that's the right way to do things. And you might say, yes, you might say no, but there was a relationship there where the, the accountability and the responsibility and stuff could play out in a particular context. There was still drama, still conflict, still 
still pain, still suffering, still funerals. So we're not trying to romanticize anything. But what we are saying is that what is, is different from what you're in view anyway, is that in this context, the relationship piece can be a lot thinner because there's a professionalization. You have people who are running, as you call them, intermediaries, meaning very big not-for-profits. They're not in the grassroots level anymore. There's a, a gap. And then you add to that social media, which means my connection to you might literally be one click one time. <laughs> That's, and I think that is one of the most damaging aspects of this, to be honest. I mean, when I think about like my mother's young life, you know, her political life was coming up in the midst of assassination. Instead of assassinations, you use the, the infrastructure that is available. The, the social media infrastructure is one that reduces accountability. It does not rely on actual relationship. It relies on disinformation. It allows for a person who is relatively unknown to influence mil- you know, millions of people. It is an insecure medium that has become central to movement building. We have to be more transparent, more honest, more vulnerable, more willing to confront our mistakes than ever before. Because we're in this context where, where lies can become truths with great ease. Let, let me, let me get, get more guidance from you on that. So being willing to, to confess and to being willing to, to just put it all out there, uh, that's half of it, that people who are in these positions need to be more humble and more transparent. Then on the other, the other half of it, I'm curious, what should those people who don't feel themselves to be powerful? I think everybody's powerful, but if people don't feel themselves to be powerful and they might feel that, feel, feel that, well, somebody else has the power. I need to fight the power. As the song said, fight the power. I'm going to fight that person. And now I'm going to pull out my, my cell phone. I'm not going to pull out a, a literal rifle or a little handgun like back in the 60s, but I'm going to pull out the digital version of that. <laughs> and I'm going to start firing my tweets as my bullets. This is just a complicated thing. What would you say to a young person who says, well, what am I supposed to do if I see something wrong? You know, I ask myself this question all the time. <laughs> what I can say is that I'm unwilling to behave like the pig. I'm unwilling to be the hand of the state. And it's something I have to tell myself daily. You know, there's a, there's a saying my mother used to say. We used to say it all the time. I am the people. I'm not the pig. I am the people. I'm not the pig. And one of the reasons that we would say that is because it was a reminder. We do not need to do the state's job for it. You know, we are the people. Our job is to liberate. Our job we're in a merciless environment. Our job, therefore, is to find and to dig out and discover mercy. For a long time, I was out here battling on social media, arguing with people, being like, don't say that, da da da, you know. And, and it was fruitless. It was so <laughs> fruitless. So instead, I turned my attention inward. And what I said was, I'm going to build something. I built something called the Pandemic Joy Community, it's a private community. And yet we have 200 members, you know, and we gather on Sundays and we build and we talk about these topics and we say, we work on how do we be more uh, kind? How do we be more accountable to each other? How do we be less punitive? How do we be the new person that we need to be for the new world that we're trying to create? 
So I can't change. I'm not going to go out and try and change thousands of people at once. I'm going to try and change hundreds of people at a time. And eventually that'll be thousands. What I hope will change is that we think less about the structural changes that need to be made. Not Not at all. Obviously, we have to focus on the structural changes, but that we think about the human changes that need to be made too. That we think about the relationships. Movements are not just about the outcomes, they're about the practice and they're they're practiced person by person. And I intend to be a person who is practicing. And if that means that people know all about my mistakes, then that's what it will mean. That's fine. I'm okay with that. But also, also we're in it, we're in a a carceral culture. We're in a culture of of Mm -hmm. inequality, you know, and that culture of inequality, it um, abuses people. An abused person has a streak within them. As a person who myself is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, I know there is a streak inside that wants revenge. Hmm. That's always there. You can't help it. (laughs) And without transformative process, without a movement that allows us to transform our grief into actionable, responsible, you know what I mean? Like rage, like. Without that, it goes someplace else. That's the nature of abuse. So we have to figure out something that isn't preachy, but that really gives people a way to be like, I need a way to come home. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. I think for me, I've, you know, I've selected, you know, those grassroots networks that make sense to me and also grass tops and elite allies that make sense to me. And then I've tried to function from there, but that's very different than when we were coming up. And I would, I felt like I could go to any progressive conference, any progressive rally, any progressive gathering, any progressive book signing and feel welcome. I would feel very hesitant to go to any of those things at this point, just given the level of disaffection from some quarters in terms of the way that I've gone about, you know, trying to pass bills for criminal justice reform. And so I think, you know, your counsel is, is important for me and for everybody. That, you know, accountability starts with self. Confess before you accuse. <laughs> uh, that might <laughs> get, the, get the order straight. <laughs> but can, can I just add one thing to that, though? Please do. One thing that I think is, is real and that I've learned for myself as, as executive director, founder and executive director at, at Media Justice, I made a lot of mistakes. You know, there are things I decided to do politically that I look back on and I wish I had not made that decision that way. You know, there are ways that I didn't listen sometimes. And part of what's happened since my wife died is this big, deep period of reflection. Mm. What I didn't want is I did not want to, and I don't want to walk around feeling like a victim. I don't want to feel victimized by the movement that I'm a part of. And I don't mean that I don't want to be victimized. I mean, I don't want to feel victimized. And part of that is my choice, how I enter, you know, how I engage, how I look at myself, whether or not I'm willing to look at the various things I've done or not done and acknowledge I made some bad choices here. Those bad choices do not discount all my good ones, all the good choices. But I, I sat with a lot of shame for quite some time about the mistakes I made. Mm. You know, and in my shame, my first response was defense. 
And now I'm just in a different place now. I'm not here to feel like nobody's victim. Nobody victimized me, not in the movement. I made choices and I suffered consequences. That's how the app. You feel me? Very much. And I think that's wise counsel and, and wisely stated. And I, you know, I take your very diplomatically put suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I'm, we are out here wilding, you know, trying, trying our best. And so I'm, I'm here for it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I appreciate you very much. And um, you've turned your grief into gold and, and you've turned your, your tears into a well for others to find some solace. And, you know, that is very, very, very rare among leaders. Thank you. Thank you for letting me share today, for having this conversation with me. You know, I like talking to you. So anytime, anytime you want to build, I'm here for it. Yeah, I love it. Uh, I'm, I'm going to keep bugging you. I'll keep right. bugging you. I'm around. All right, now. All right, thank you now. We see the beauty of hope. That spirit is so beautiful. Those who become American citizens love this country even more. And that's why the Statue of Liberty lifts her lamp to welcome them to the Golden Door. For me, that was, you know, just a beautiful, powerful conversation with somebody I've, I've known for a long time and respected for a long time. And that conversation took it to an even deeper level. It's not just that Malki is a genius. Malki is certainly a genius. But, you know, you can sense that work that's been done on the internal level, you know, at the personal level. Malkia lost their wife in just the most painful way. You know, it was this long illness. They chronicled on Facebook pretty much every step of that process. And in the process of this long goodbye, I just watched Malkia transform into somebody who uh, who's a lot wiser, who's a lot deeper, who's a lot stronger, actually, but also a lot more tender. And what I want to point out is that Malkia is not the only person who's grieving in that way, especially now. Malki has been stretched open by the challenges of our time. And so have a lot of people, millions of people. And they're having these catastrophic breakdowns and then turning those breakdowns somehow into breakthroughs. And I think that the political class and the media elite need to be listening and learning more from the people who are actually getting through these hard times and finding a way forward and discovering more wisdom and discovering more solutions for themselves because that's the kind of thinking and approach that's needed actually at the very top. And I, and I just think increasingly, we're going to have to turn to folks who have not been listened to and trust that the genius that we need to solve these problems is going to be found in very unexpected places and from very unexpected people. There is wisdom, I guarantee you, all around you. We just tend to look past it. There's probably some young person in your life right now that may not feel like they're being listened to. And they may have some tremendous insight about what's going on in your family or what's going on in your community or your workplace or in technology. And I think we could all do a better job of making sure those young people are feeling heard. You know, or they may be an older person who's, you know, getting pushed out now. You know, they're not cool anymore. You know, they're no longer the top of their game. But I guarantee you, they've got something to say. I just I just think we've got to build this uncommon ground community together and start by listening to uncommon voices. 
So I just invite you to pull those voices in, uh, in your own life. I'm trying to do it on this podcast, and I hope we'll stay together. This is Uncommon Ground. I'm Van Jones. See you next time. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. It's produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Adesua Agbanile, Sundus Hassan Noli, and Lindsay Cradlewell. Our managing producers are Lauren D. and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by The Grand Mess. Publicity for this show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Morais, Chantel Muentes, and Sam Petherbridge. Special thanks to Jana Carter, Taylor Williamson, Seven McDonald, Drew Schwindeman, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Walkneen, Vanessa Rebert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Louie, and Chris Jackman. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. I'm Shimon Yai, and I have a new podcast called The Competition. Every year, 50 high school senior girls compete in a massive scholarship competition. I wouldn't say I have an ego problem, but I'm extremely competitive. All of the competitors are used to being the best and the brightest, and they're all vying for a huge cash prize. This will probably be the most intense that you've ever gone through in your life. I remember that feeling because I was one of them. I lost, but now I'm coming back as a judge and also a kind of teen girl anthropologist. Because if you want to understand what it's like to be a young woman in America today, the competition's not a bad place to start. Hopefully no one will die on stage tonight. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery, this is The Competition. Follow The Competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to The Competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.